Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. You know, it's sometimes not a good idea to reveal all your stories because then people get tired of what you have to say. I have a friend, and I've talked about him before, or I had a friend, he's passed away now, but Bruce, who sailed with me across the Atlantic. And Bruce had an interesting life. And Bruce would talk and talk and tell stories and tell stories and tell stories. And never once did I ever hear him repeat a story. They were always new stories. Well, when Jack and Neil joined me on the boat, I started telling stories. And every time I told a story, they'd say, Oh, you've already told that one in your podcast. So I'm running out of stories to tell. I'm going on a walk. It's... July, I think it's 9th, 2015, Salt Lake City. I'm actually just walking down to the office. Last couple days, last actually last week or so, my daughter's been visiting me from Wisconsin, and she brought her two children with her, a three-year-old and a two-year-old, and the house is a bit hectic right now. So <laughs> it's nice to go on a walk and just listen to the background noise instead of happy or unhappy kids. Nonetheless, it's nice to have him here. Spent some time at the ranch. I'm not even going to talk about the building permit process this podcast. Suffice it to say that they're moving as slowly as ever, and I don't know what I'll get done this summer. Probably I'll, if I'm lucky, if I'm lucky, I'll get the foundation in, and that's about all, footings and foundation. So I'm not stressing over it anymore. So anyway, so every time I tell a story... Oh, we've heard that one before. Sometimes I put a little twist on it, but I'm about out of stories. Fortunately for me, Jack and Neil were blank slates. I knew a little bit about them, but not much. And not in this particular podcast, but later on, we're going to hear about Jack's previous life as a commercial diver. And he's going to give us some safety tips that we should know about at least I hope I have that record. I know we talked about it a lot on the boat, and I know I made him do a recording. I hope I didn't lose that. So I'm walking down to the office. I planned to get up this morning and go exercise, but I got sidetracked because last night the dishwasher went out. And about a week ago, the washing machine went out. And before that, the car that I'd loaned my daughter was acting up. So I've had headache after headache after a headache to deal with. Can't figure out this dishwasher, it's a Bosch. Very good dishwasher, quiet. But we've had to nurse it along. It's about 10, 12 years old now. Probably we're due for a new one. And I planned on actually buying a new one. Came home for lunch today and played with it a little more and lo and behold, I got it working again. Can't figure out what I did to make it start working again, but. I think it's on its downhill slide, so we'll have to replace that at some point in time. I have a 
interesting podcast today. Most of it's stuff that we did on the boat this summer. And I have probably about three or four that I'll be able to put together with various audio clips from this summer. And this is going to be the first one of hopefully several. One last thing. I have a series of audio lessons out there for you to study for the written portion of the various ASA exams. The ASA 101, the ASA 103, and the ASA 104, which is really the one you need if you want to go charter boats and do bare boat chartering. I think I do a pretty good job, as well as you can do with an audio course. I've got some fairly good reviews on the ASA 101 and 103, but I don't have any reviews yet for the ASA 104. So if you've listened to the ASA 104, I'd really appreciate it if you'd write a review in Amazon and iTunes. And you can find those lessons just by searching for my name, Franz, F-R-A-N-Z, Amason, A-M-U-S-S-E-N. And if you're interested in reviewing these courses, give me an honest review and promise to write a review within a reasonable period of time. Drop me an email, franz at medsailor.com. And I'll get you a code to be able to download a copy of the ASA 104. And that's with the condition that you agree to write an honest review in iTunes and Amazon. And I think you can also find the, the courses in Amazon just by typing in ASA 101 or ASA 103 or ASA 104. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get on to today's podcast. Welcome to the Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. If you're wondering if something has happened to Franz, he is here, as is Jack Andrews. My name is Neil Fletcher. We're currently doing what we talk about, sailing on the Mediterranean. We're on a beautiful beam reach, crossing from the port of Lackey, which we left about um, four hours ago, and we are en route to Astapalaya. It's a beautiful sunny day, the sky is blue, the sea is azure, and um, we thought it might be instructive to report on site rather than from a mountain in Utah or Franz's living room. Jack and I, who are mere neophytes compared to Franz, have been making the acquaintance of a charming lady by the name of Vanity which is in fact Franz's wind vane and we're just adjusting it trying to figure out the exact trim and so far so good so one thing that's noticeable about um, Franz is that he is a very laid-back uh, character when he's on the boat and he's entrusted us to um, two fellows to uh, take good care of her while he's down below reading a book improving his mind Um, he's also tasked us with coming up with some witty conversation and a commentary which I think may be beyond us because I'm not sure that we can handle the pressures of manning a boat with which we are unfamiliar and um, doing an inaugural podcast as well as producers and hosts but we will do the best we can and we'll hope for seas that aren't too choppy Regular listeners may recognise my voice. I've uh, contributed to the podcast before. I talked 
Oh, probably six months ago about uh, a sun sail flotilla trip to Croatia and Jack of course uh, spoke uh, at length and knowledgeably about his trip to Italy. We both met up with Franz yesterday, he's um, getting towards the end of his summer adventure on the Med but we met up with him in Lucky, which is a lovely little town on the lovely little island of Liros. Jack flew in from Washington State and I flew in from California. So it's a little puddle, little more than a puddle jumper, a turbojet from Athens into Leros, which is a charming little island, probably um, five miles long and maybe a mile wide. And uh, if you're thinking of staying there, I personally can recommend Tony's Beach, a lovely quiet little place about a kilometre away from Lucky Harbour. All right. Audio is running. Okay. Let's get some background noise here. All right, this is Franz reporting live from Sea Dream. I have Neil Fletcher with me and Jack Andrews. They join me, I guess it was day before yesterday, wasn't it? No, yesterday was our first big sail. We sailed from Liros down to Ostapalaya, and today we're sailing from Ostapalaya over to Niseros. And I'm going to hand the uh, mic over to Neil and get his observations on the trip so far. Thank you, Franz. Well, um, as you said, it's only been a couple of days, but it's really lived up to expectations. We're uh, in the middle of a second wonderful sail in succession. The wind has been nice right on the beam. Um, the seas and the weather has been gorgeous. And uh, our last night uh, in Astapalaya just sort of checked all the boxes of that uh, idyllic little Greek seaside village. Um, so, so far it's been, uh, it's been absolutely as advertised and it's really exceeded my expectations, both uh, in terms of the sailing and in the uh, everything else. What about you, Jack? Probably likewise to that, Neil. It's certainly been enjoyable to sail. Um, wonderful conditions. You've got to tell them what the hell you're doing. You're doing social media on the boat. <laughs> Business and social media is going on right here. Yeah. Well, I must say, it's been... I've been impressed by the Wi-Fi availability on the boat. <laughs> so Franz has got this fantastic satellite system. It gives him worldwide coverage. I'm not sure how much it's costing him. No, I'm only joking, but uh, the, uh, the 3G and 4G connections on the islands around here seems to be pretty good. Um, they've got towers that give you over-the-horizon coverage on 3G connections, which is wonderful, posting videos to YouTube and um, making them as we go has been pretty good. I um, At Ostapalaya, they've got a castle up on top of the hill there, and I was climbing up there last night, and it was a funny story because I was on the edge taking a photo and turned around, and there's a naked guy standing next to me, and, and he says hello, and I look at him and say sorry, and I was standing in his backyard, and uh, he runs off and gets a towel, and he comes back out. It turns out he's a fellow Australian who's visiting and lives there for uh, six months, very inexpensively, quite amazing. <laughs> but uh, it was a bit of a rude shock. 
But the rest of the view, the other way, was pretty good. So over to you, Franz. So we, uh, we, we've been on the trip, and while we've been on the trip, both Neil and Jack have had to do business. So we had to go into the Wi-Fi cafe this morning for Neil to, to make sure his, his latest edition of his publication got released in time, and he took care of some problems. But uh, we've had absolutely gorgeous weather. These guys like to uh, tiller sail, and, and it, they do an okay job, but it's much better to hand the, hand the helm off to Vanity, my vane gear, and auto. Steers a much more consistent course, but <laughs> we've, uh, we went into Ostapalaya yesterday afternoon, late afternoon. I guess we got in there around um, 4, maybe 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and the harbor, which is not a very big harbor, was full. And this has happened to me before, twice before. And so what we did is we went around the corner from the breakwater and dropped an anchor and then backed into the wind, so we were protected from the wind, and tied up on shore and got away with it. The year before, I did the same thing and the port police came and told me I couldn't do it. And the previous time I was here uh, with my friend Bud... Uh, we did exactly what we did last night and got away with it. So there doesn't seem to be a consistent policy on what I did. There were also a couple of huge boats tied up at the dock. Do you, uh, Neil, uh, tell us what you observed on those big boats that were tied up with us? Right. Well, one of them was called Kakos 5, which was... Uh, I, we were able to find a little bit about it on the internet, but basically it was a... Super yacht, glorified gin palace. So you can choose your uh, your description. Some pejorative, some not so. And it sort of was in an interesting shade of Russian olive grey. Um, but you know, very big and very fancy. The sort of thing that you would expect to see in Saint Tropez or uh, one of those glitzy Côte d'Azur harbours. Um, and in front of that was something a little more interesting, which. Franz described as all sail and all show and no go. Uh, it, it, it was a modern yacht that was designed, had some sort of nods to the gullet, the gullet tradition. There was something vague, a few motifs that were vaguely um, Turkish about it, although it was very modern and it had, uh, it had three masts, um, what looked like a very big rig if they ever, ever put it up. But um, I think it was really more cosmetic than anything else. Um, and also around the corner in the breakwater we found uh, a lot of the regular sort of boats that you'd expect to see a couple of Genos, a couple of Benetos from the charter business and what have you so it was pretty much I guess what you'd expect to see there and of course a smattering of local fishermen too in their lovely, wonderfully, brightly painted uh, painted uh, fishing boats so yeah, it was, uh, it was, there was a lot to see there When I was on the island of Liros before this crew arrived, my previous crew, we rented some scooters and rode around to the castle on, on the island of Liros and went up to the... In the castle, there was an, a, a museum. And we walked into the museum, and there was a man that spoke perfect English that was really excited to tell us about the history of the island. But then we got off on the topic of of politics and Greeks' problems, and he made the comment to me, he said... And I and I made I asked him. I said, "Where did you learn your English? You uh, you speak perfect English." And he said, "Well, I 
I grew up in Houston, and uh, when I retired, and he was fairly young, he was in his 40s, I think, but he retired and came back to his home, his family home, which on, was on Leros. So he, I think he inherited a house on Leros, and he came back. He made the comment that as soon as he got back to Leros, his neighbor came over and said, first thing you need to do is you need to go out and buy two goats. And he said, well, why do I need two goats? He said, well, the EU will pay you a, a, a subsidy of 30 euros a year for each goat you have. I said, well, two goats doesn't do me any good. And his, his neighbor said, oh, you stupid American. Well, when the tax man comes around or when the, the representative comes around, you tell him you have 92 goats. And you have those two goats to show them. And the others are up on, on the mountain grazing. And he said, well, what do I do when, they wants to, when he wants to see them? And he said, oh, you stupid American, you give him 200 euros, he gives you your certificate, and you go away. And he goes away. So he made the comment that the, the culture is, is so used to subsidies. On the island of Amagoros, he made the comment that two-thirds of the island is blind. And I said, what? He said, yeah, there's a doctor there that will certify blindness, and if you're blind, you get subsidies. So there's taxi drivers that are blind on the island. There's people that are blind on the island because they've been able to get these certificates from a doctor that says they're blind and they're able to collect subsidies. He says it's, it's really a problem with the, the culture and, and the culture of basically getting away with whatever you can get away with. But I thought that was an interesting comment from, uh, from a man that actually lived on the island. We're heading to Niseros. Niseros, I've spent uh, time on before. There's a really interesting caldera in the center of the island. I'm hoping we'll rent a car and drive around on it. And uh, we'll make another comment later on in the trip. One thing that was, uh, was interesting to me was the first time that I've been in this part of the world, specifically the, the Dodecanese. And um, we, on the island of Leros, which I arrived the day before, I met up with uh, with Franz and Jack on the airplane over from Athens, which was a thirty-seat um, turboprop. I met a couple from uh, Wales, from Cardiff, to be specific, and it was their sixteenth visit in twenty years to Leros. And they said that the reason it was so attractive to them that brought them back was because it hadn't changed; it hadn't been subject to the development and the um, the build-up of population and traffic, which has afflicted some of the other. Greek islands. They said it was pretty much the way it was when they started coming 20 years ago and um, that view was echoed by an English gentleman by the name of Simon who I met at the Pantelli Beach Hotel that was just oh, about five minutes away from Lucky Harbour. Uh, another interesting fellow, he'd moved out here 18 years ago and in, on, vac on uh, holiday and just enjoyed it so much that he decided to stay. And he said essentially the same thing, that it's, it's nice and quiet, that the old Greek ways are still intact, for, which for better or worse, uh, Franz just alluded to. And um, also the Australian, who, who Jack mentioned a little earlier, he now he claimed that he was only paying 11 euro a month for his room. Um, perhaps that, that was a little bit of an exaggeration, but it certainly does seem that if you want to come to this part of the world and stay and live cheaply, you can still do it. That those sort of things that people used to talk about in the 1960s and the 1970s, those opportunities are still there for folks, which 
I think in a world that's changing so much is kind of nice, and I think that's part of the appeal of the uh, of the area. One thing I know, I I was talking to some other cruisers, and they mentioned had I been to Kosh lately, and I said no, but we're going to be clearing out of Kosh, and they said, well, there's so many refugees that are being transported over from Turkey that the whole town is overrun with refugees. And I thought, uh, you know, there's so much immigration that's going on. It's not just Italy, it's Greece as well. Any way they can get across and get into the EU, they're trying. I did see a little bit of this in Simi when I was there before. Earlier this year, there was a, 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 a group of about 40, oh, probably Northern Africans that were being escorted by police. They all had the same exact clothes on. They're being escorted by police to the police station. They weren't being housed in the police, but they were, I think, being deported or something. I don't know. I think they were loaded on a a boat and shipped back to Turkey. But we're seeing a lot of that, and this is really the first time I've seen it extensively. Now, last year when I was on the island of Simi, I did meet an American, and he said... Uh, he, I took him around to a little beach that he was meeting his wife on. He joined me for a short uh, motor, not a sail, but a motor. Interesting character. And he said that there had been some smuggling of humans over to see me. And this boat that smuggled them over smuggled them to a small island, oh, about 30 feet away from the main island of see me. Dropped them off there. I said, okay, you're in Europe now. Goodbye. And left them there. And several of them could not swim and drowned in trying to get across this 30-foot barrier of water. It says it was a tragic event, but, it, but it's happening more and more often. So we'll see what, uh, what we observe a little later on. Jack, did you have any other comments? Uh, Jack made his first reef on the boat, so we got to get his input on the first, uh, first reef. <laughs> We sailed off the anchor today, although we did have to uh, move the sail around like on a little laser sailboat because uh, we, were, yeah, we were certainly uh, at time there thinking that we might be too close to the fishing boats and would have to use the engine. Now, having said that, whilst we did sail off the anchor, we, um, we did have the engine running just in case. Right. It was a good insurance policy. <laughs> All right, right now we're about uh, nine miles away from our... Well, probably about 10 miles away from our destination for the, for the night in Niseros. And we're moving at, oh, five to six knots, five and a half to six knots, depending on if we're going up or down a wave right now. Waves are about, mm, probably about four feet. There's a lot of white caps off in the distance, consistent wind. It's coming from our port quarter, so it's sort of a, not a full downwind run, but uh, the wind's off our port quarter. The vane gear is steering right now because everybody got tired of hand steering, and we've been. Re I've been down below reading, feeding the crew. They've been up here. Uh, Jack's drastically texting his friends and family, sending pictures around. Today is the thirteenth. Thirteenth of June. We're in a little harbor called Vathi. I've been in and out of this harbor four or five times in the past, but it's always been so crowded there's been no room.
to anchor here or and tie up to the dock. But today we came in, we thought there was room to tie up, so we did. But when we pulled in where the man indicated for us to pull in, we were rubbing the bottom of the rudder. So I jumped in the water and swam along the dock to find a deeper spot, and we re-anchored, and now we have about a foot of water under the rudder and more than that under the keel. So first time I've stopped in this little charming village. We're at a little taverna. We've had some calamari. The calamari was fantastic. And you can hear a little background noise, a little music. Neil, who we now call Scoop, because he scoops up all the information of every harbor that we come into, has been exploring the possibilities of renting a place and uh, for an extended period of time. So I'm going to hand the microphone over to Scoop and let him make some comments. Thank you, Franz. Yes, this is a lovely, lovely little place. If you looked in um, a tourist guidebook about reasons to come to Greece, there could very well be a picture of um, Vatis. It's, uh, it's really like a little jagged cut in between the hilly surrounds of the island, and the mooring area probably doesn't expe- extend more than four or 500 yards to the wharf at the back where the fishing boats are lined up and there's a couple of tavernas. And there's a section as you come in on your port side which has room for probably 12 or 15 boats. Right now it's maybe a little more than half full of tourist boats. Um, but it's just a gorgeous little spot. Um, the, uh, the Greek flag is flying, flying proudly. And it looks like the sort of place where you could moor for a night very happily, or if you wanted to spend more time here, you could do that too. It really is a little hideaway. It's beautifully sheltered, and it feels very much uh, like you're isolated in a good way from the rest of the world. So up on the hill to the left of the small village square is a rather attractive whitewashed building um, called Pension Manolis, And uh, Manoli himself is a rather nice gentleman, a little slow. Probably I would put his age in the high 70s. He lived in Canada and New York City for a while where he worked. And his English is pretty good. And he runs this little pension um, in the summer months. Um, It's pretty much him and his German shepherd up there. He's got a nice little section of garden with fruit trees, with guava and tangerines and clementines and lots of jasmine everywhere. And he's got some, um, <clears throat> some grapevines going as well, covering the terraces. So it would make an excellent tourist retreat or a, a writer's, an artist's retreat if someone wanted to come to this island and get some solitude and get away from it all and uh, write the great American novel or compose some wonderful symphony. This would certainly be an ideal place to do it. So we chatted with him. He explained the history of the island It was a Byzantine fort island for a while, guarding the trade routes during the heyday of the Byzantine Empire. And then uh, much of the fortification fell away in an earthquake that actually divided Vatis from a little island off the north, the north coast, which was actually part of the island until this earthquake took place, although he didn't tell me when the earthquake was. Um, Then he talked about the British helping the Greeks to... um, escaped the yoke of the Ottoman Empire in the early 1820s and he talked about the Italians being here from 1912 
and then the Germans, and then the British for a couple of years at the end of World War Two, and how then they, after that, they returned to Greek hands. And it's um, it's re- really a charming man, very typically Greek. Wanted to talk, wanted me to sit down and have a glass of ouzo or a cup of coffee with him, and I really enjoyed uh, visiting with him. And um, he really is a typical inhabitant of this typical and really charming little town. So it's not even a town; it's a hamlet. That's how I would describe it, a hamlet. And it's a, it's a lovely place to tie up and have really a first-rate calamari and an excellent glass of calamari. So uh, excellent glass of retsina, excuse me. You can probably tell I've had one too many glasses of retsina this afternoon, so my speech may be a little more inexact than I would like. And um, that's probably the way I would describe it. And just one thing, as I'm, as I'm looking out from my little taverna table here with France sitting next to me, there is a an aged Toyota truck loaded to the gunnels with wonderful fresh green produce. I can see zucchini or courgettes. I can see potatoes and melons, cucumbers, and we had some lovely um, cherries for just a couple of euros. I can also see apricots, tomatoes, apples, runner beans, leeks, and bananas. And uh, I guess he goes round, this gentleman who owns the truck goes round from village to village um, offering his produce so it's really just a lovely little spot and um, if any of you that out there are tempted to come to this part of the world this should be pretty close to the top of your list I think thanks for listening if you have any comments on the podcast or have suggestions for future podcasts drop me a note franz at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website I'll be having a few more episodes with Neil and Jack. We did a little bit of recording this summer. And then I've got an interview lined up with Roger at San Juan Sailing. San Juan Sailing's an organization based in Bellingham, Washington, which charters boats out in the San Juan Islands and also has various ASA courses. So I wanted to talk to him and talk about their courses and their and their services up there it's in the united states it's not in the mediterranean but a lot of my listeners are in the united states and if you want to do some bare boat chartering it's good to have your asa 104 before you try to do it it's funny when i started chartering there were no such requirements what they did require was i put together a resume of my sailing experience i did that and then later on i had a commercial coast guard license and that was plenty good for what it was required but nowadays charter companies and probably the insurance companies for the charter companies are requiring specific certifications and the ASA 104 is is one of those there's other ones you can get I think England has the Royal Cruising Association there are various certifications that you get in England I'm not sure exactly what they're called various organizations around the world have specific sailing courses that are that are recognized by the charter companies but anyway drop me a note if you'd like to review the asa 104 that i just finished uh, drop me a note and i'll get you a copy of that and any suggestions or comments are always appreciated thanks joe you have something to tell me no i I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use 
a guy like Joel. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you? Every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck? And take some chances. You are so right. You made me very proud. I was just thinking. Where we might be ten years from now, you know? <laughs> Thank you.